Hello there. Welcome to the Herbcast, the podcast from Herbal Reality, delving into the plant-powered world of herbalism. So do you know your echinacea from your eleutherococcus, or your polyphenol from your polysaccharides? Whether you're a budding herbalist, an inquisitive health professional, or a botanical beginner, Herbcast is here to inform and inspire you on your journey to integrating herbs in our everyday lives. So settle down, turn us up, and let's start today's episode of the Herbal Reality Herbcast. Hello and welcome to this latest Herbcast, and it's my real pleasure this time to introduce Phil Deakin, who I've known for some years, but have been really impressed by. Uh, He will tell you more about his life when he comes to it, but uh, this is someone who's really transformed our profession in the time that he's been with us and brings a huge experience from his previous professional life to this conversation. And today we're going to be talking mainly about men's health, an area I guess two blokes are reasonably well qualified to talk about. Uh, And we're going to look to see if we can bring some new thoughts into this increasingly pressing problem in our practice. So Phil, um, you've got a long backstory. Where do you want to start? How, how did you get here? Oh, yes, indeed. Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much, Simon, for inviting me along. And thank you to Herbal Reality for hosting this. It's a great opportunity. Uh, and I'm absolutely delighted to, to be chatting to you today. And um, I guess, um, I mean, I'm Phil. I, uh, my pronouns are he, him, and I identify as a herbalist. Um, I think I'm naturally rather a restless soul. And in fact, I, you know, it's very kind of you to say those lovely things about me. But I, I came to herbalism very, very late in life, really. Uh, initially, I studied physiology and medicine and then worked uh, as a doctor in general practice and unscheduled care for, for many years. Um, but I think I'd always been, been interested in herbal medicine. And throughout my career in general practice i'd i'd done some self-directed learning and in fact the very first time we met was way back in 2007 at the eden project where the college of practitioners of phytotherapy organized an amazing event which was called uh, herbal medicine for conventional practitioners and this was just lovely because we had the great and the good yourself included speaking to us and then we all went off into the biomes to look at the these amazing plants that were being spoken of and i think that that that, um in a sense that really triggered my need to find out more about this i was very fortunate um as a gp you tend to uh have to undergo a lot of appraisal and revalidation and my appraiser got me to put herbal medicine on my um my my list of things that that uh, I prepared to present at appraisal, and uh, eventually uh, I'd been on so many courses. Uh, they said to me, "Well, you know, either you do a formal qualif- qualification or you just shut up about it, please." So I went and did a degree. I did that at, uh, in Lincoln, and that was wonderful, and it changed my life because I sort of thought, "Well, I'm going to be a GP. I'll come out of this. I'll still be a GP, but I'll have all these lovely herbal skills as well. How lovely will that be?" And of course, halfway through. I thought to myself, actually, I'm not a GP, I'm a herbalist. And I, I jumped. I, I, I gave up my life as a GP to become a herbalist. And I've never looked back and I've never regretted it. It's, it's wonderful. And I think the thing that those who are listening who are involved in herbal medicine will know that once you're inside it, it's much, much bigger on the inside 
than it appears from the outside. It's like Doctor Who's time machine, like the TARDIS. And the thing is that, that you um, can go back thousands... It travels through time. You can go back thousands of years and learn the wisdom of, 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 of generations and traditions before our own. And I think, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm laboring the analogy here, but also when we're talking about sustainable healthcare, it may also be uh, a way of getting to the future as well. Um, so I think that's that's how I got here. And the reason that I embraced it so much was that I, I found myself dissatisfied with the way that my work had changed in general practice, the way that we were busy simplifying things instead of embracing the complexity that herbal medicine does. Um, and I, I love the idea of of using complex interventions to find out the, the full in, the, the full extent of, of who someone is and finding out everything about them and then embracing that complexity and using plant medicines which are also complex because they're, they're whole plant medicines. We're not endlessly searching for the, the active component which is what happens in, in conventional medicine. Um, so maybe it got to the point in my life when I, I needed to, to do that kind of thing and... Um, I was very fortunate. I met some lovely people who allowed me to practice alongside them. Um, and I got involved with the uh, National Institute of Medical Herbalists and met even more lovely people. And I regard herbal medicine as being my family now. And I think I'm very, very fortunate to be here. Well, I have a memory of you dressed in an orange suit and you weren't actually in the <laughs> detention center, but at, at Jekka's Fest. Uh, a year ago, um, and that will uh, uh, representing the National Institute of Medical Herbalists at the time. So, uh, uh, the, you know, the, there are things that you will never forget. Um, <laughs> it's Dr. Phil Deacon in orange, with well, orange wellies, orange wellies as well, as I recall. It, w- it was some. Do you remember it was a very rainy day? <laughs> I mean, my, I, I suppose the thing, the, the point I was making really was to be recognisable, to, to stand up and be recognisable, to poke my head above the parapet. And so here I, I'm a herbalist. You can tell I'm a herbalist. I'm visible. I, you know, I'm uh, instantly recognisable. I'd, I'd hate people to say, "Well, no, which one was Phil?" But you, you did, you did step up. I mean, you were running the national. You were running it. You, you were coordinating it as chair and president. Um, and so, you know, you, you, you did more than just sit in your practice. You've well, been engaged in the wider political world as well. I, th- I think so. And I think, um, you know, I, what's it, fools rush in where angels fear to tread? Because the herbal world has been quite a turbulent world. And, and, that, and throughout history, that is the way. And, and, in, and going forward, I think it always will be. Um, i I felt, in a strange way, I was very fortunate to be uh, work, working during pandemic because we had an excellent team. We had a superb team, my fellow council members, our chief executive, great people. And the challenges of pandemic, my skills working as infection, in infection control and general practice, um, working in unscheduled care during um, swine flu, uh, and being on the front line there, had really helped me to gain insights about how we could, uh, how the herbal world could rise to the challenges of the pandemic and of lockdown and of all the political fallout and the endless red tape. Um, so I think in some ways 
it, it was it was pure coincidence. And the other thing was that during lockdown, uh, you know, you can either sort of sit there watching box sets and baking banana bread, or you can go online and get some work done. And um, you know, I felt that that was my role. Um, so, and I was, and it's I've learned so much, and I met some lovely people, and um, it was good. I'm still part of it, but I've stepped back to allow more experienced herbalists. Uh, to take the front seat, and I think that's the way it should be. So you must have been the first remote president, were you, of the institute? Given a remote, the timing, <laughs> a remote president. I, I certainly, you know, my life was was uh, ruled by uh, Zoom and video and, uh, and and things like that, and making and making little video snippets. But you know, sometimes um, challenges are really opportunities, aren't they? And lots of stuff got done that had been on the back burner for ages because we were being challenged. Um, and uh, the whole lockdown thing, I think, um, it's affected, um, it has affected men's health as well, particularly our younger males, because <coughs> during, during lockdown, um, a, a lot of our uh, people in their teens have kind of lost a whole chunk of their life experience. Uh, and it's affected... Um, both are young men and young women, uh, and mental health issues, um, particularly in our young male population, and, and to a similar degree, young women as well, the, the information that's emerging. Yeah, so now, that, that's a great segue into the, our topic today, isn't it? Because I agree that the lockdown affected men and their social and other contexts probably more because they te- they're not the sort of people who generally sit around at home. They, they, they tend to be more likely to be engage outdoors or with with, with with their friends and so on and uh, I think we can both agree that we saw quite a quite a burden on men folk uh, uh, for that alone and, and it links doesn't it to the fact that so many men's health problems are actually social cultural emotional and psychological uh, yes, in, in yes. origin. Uh, absolutely and I mean I've done a lot of um reading around sort of masculinities and how that affects health and in fact I've, I've, I've presented some stuff on that as well um, and the thing is that men um, conventional masculinities being a big strong man uh, mean that your your two things happen firstly if you're a real success you're not going to be well liked and your home life's probably going to be a complete wreck because you're never there and you're you're busy out there sort of you know ruling the world or whatever it is you're doing and if you if you subscribe to that version of being a man and you're um you don't succeed then you've got all these feelings of inadequacy so you kind of you're damned if you do you're damned if you don't but both of those things impact on mental health as well and um something that does interest me about men's health which impacts on herbal medicine a lot is help seeking behaviors and what what it is um, that triggers men to go and seek help, and I'm, I, I worry particularly about um, mental well-being in terms of men's health as well, um, because you know it's easy to sort of regard men's health as being uh, almost entirely due to their biological anatomy and physiology. You know, we think, oh, men's health—that's puberty, prostate, 
uh, andropause, maybe erectile problems. These are things that we kind of, we, we say, okay, right, herbal medicine, we've got lots of things we can use, we can support people, uh, we can encourage people, we can reframe how an issue is affecting someone. Um, and I think, you know, maybe just concentrating even on this physical side of things, this is, and I don't mean this in a, a, a negative way, but sometimes this can be overshadowed by women's health issues because in both in herbal medicine and, and conventional medicine, sometimes um, women, the women's health needs are perceived as being more complex uh, and men are much more straightforward. It's just, it's, it's just plumbing, isn't it? Whereas we've got the whole childbirth thing, the, the, the hormonal tides that, that, that come in and out. And herbal medicine quite rightly has enormous place there. Um, but, but we blokes sometimes get left a little bit substranded high and dry. Uh, I think that is changing. I absolutely do. Um, and certainly in physical terms, men are more vulnerable to some of the tissue pathologies that we think about. These are sort of diseases, disease processes. So stuff like heart disease, uh, and stroke and liver disease, chronic lung disease, which was thought to probably be related to smoking. But even with changes that have happened in terms of women um, being perhaps uh, just as likely to smoke, the, the, the lung problems are still sort of um, evident. Uh, and men are more vulnerable to accidents than, than women as well and, and getting injury through accidents. Um, when you look at the, the figures in terms of mental well-being, um, anxiety and depression is diagnosed far, far less in men. And the question really is, is it because men are less depressed and anxious or is it because they don't step forward? And all the, all the evidence seems to be pointing to, to that being the case. Uh, and the most shocking piece of evidence really, and, and uh, I know that we've spoken about this before, is... Um, the, the suicide figures for men and um, three quarters of all completed suicides in the UK are by men and suicide is the biggest single cause of death in men under the age of 50. Um, so I think if we herbalists are wanting to um, consider issues around men's health then certainly mental well-being should be very much part of what we do and a lot of the work that I've been looking at is providing spaces in herbal com is, is is thinking about how to provide spaces in herbal consultations where men are able to open up and get to things and i think we herbalists have got such a great advantage here because we we go into such great depth with our patients um you know i mean if you if you can actually uh, get I, I don't want to spend a lot of time bashing gps i am a gp and i know the pressures but it's very difficult to tell people what's really worrying you in just 10 minutes, isn't it? Um, and, especially, you know, especially if you're a bloke. I mean, in a way, there's a more transactional relationship from the get-go, isn't it? You go in to fix something and walk out as soon as you've got the appropriate bit, pill or whatever that you wanted to, for that job. It's almost like a branch of uh, car mechanics in some ways. Absolutely, absolutely, because... Uh, and men tend to foreground, even if they're feeling unwell in terms of their mental well-being, they foreground the physical symptoms. So it may be that they do have physical symptoms relating to, to loss of mental well-being, uh, and they'll, they'll present those rather than what's underlying it. Or they may not know what's underlying it. And, um, and it is really difficult for, for people working in primary care 
to reach out. And um, men tend to have smaller support networks as well. They're often very focused on their life partner, whereas perhaps women will have a whole group of of of, of um, friends that they feel able to share their 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 thoughts about their well-being. Um, so I think that. Um, the other thing that herbalists really do well is that they don't just focus on em- uh, the, the physical side of things. Um, they'll they'll look at people's emotional well-being. They'll um, and I'm going to say I'm going to use the word. They look at people's spiritual well-being as well, which is not necessarily a religious thing, but the people what your belief systems are and your sense of self. And then taking it even further, people's sort of uh, etheric connections, how you're wired into the universe. And, you know, if, what, 20 years ago you told me I'd be talking about stuff like this, I would have said, nonsense, don't be silly, you know, it's, it's nothing to do with medicine. But it clearly is, because our sense of self and who we are and who we might, and how we identify as men is all tied in with that. And I think the the wonderful thing that herbalists do is that they give people space to talk about those really difficult issues and to actually say this is who i am this is this is this is how i feel this is where what i feel my place is in the world um and i think that's a wonderful thing and that's really what has convinced me that my future is in herbal medicine because it allows things like that to happen during consultations do you, that's an interesting point there. Do you think ageing helps men in that sense to become a little bit more connected? I mean, you know, we talk about suicides and, for, and the leading cause of death and another part of me immediately thought, well, there's another variation on that, which is opioid addiction, which we're seeing so alarmingly in the U- US, mainly young men. And you wonder, you know, that that's a men's health issue in a way because it's a showing a signs of extreme mental uh, health um, uh, disruption leading to very dangerous behaviours. And I'm just wondering whether young men are more vulnerable simply because they're young and out there and expect things to be sort of not in, don't see health as part of the storyline. They just want to get out there and do things. Um, Whereas as you get older, you may become a bit more reflective, a bit more open to these conversations. I I think there's lots, I think that's absolutely right. And I think there's a lot, I've had conversations with people. I mean, there is evidence that certain masculinities are linked to reckless behaviours. And younger masculinities can can be linked to that, and also peer group pressure to to do to do things in young young male tribes. Um, and when it gets tribal, we 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 talk about young men and that this idea of rites of initiation, which usually involve pain and blood, and may involve substances. Now, in uh, in first uh, first world communities, you would have a shaman to guide you through that. But we don't have that anymore. So, are these young guys? Is the, are these rites of initiation taking substances that alter, that alter your perception of the world um, without those there to safeguard you? I don't know. That's a bit glib in some ways, but I think there are elements of that. You know, and 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 young guys getting tattoos and piercings and things. Um, you know, to to sort of celebrate their manhood. Um, we. We need to sort of have a think about that, and we need to perhaps address that with people when we're talking to them about why they feel unhappy, particularly young people. I, th- I think perhaps um, older men are 
Well, speaking for myself, you know, in herbal medicine, I did feel that there was a sort of spirit, herbal, herbalism provided a spiritual need. It fulfilled a spiritual need for me. The, the sense of, of thinking about the planet and, and um, living the living systems around us. And that was quite a spiritual thing. And I think maybe thinking about your own health and, and the shape of your life as you, as you head towards the end of it. It's a bit, uh, a bit dark here. But, I mean, you do think about that. That's an important thing. And that can perhaps prompt you to go and seek help. So maybe older guys do that. Paul, the other thing, of course, is that um, on the physical symptoms, as a GP, as an older GP, I, I used to see a lot of male patients, older male patients, and they probably thought to themselves, well, he's got grey hair, he knows what it is to get a bit dribbly when you go to the loo, I'll go and see him about my prostate. So I think maybe, you know, there is a bit of that as well, that we tend to attract uh, certain groups of patients, depending on the energies that we uh, we, we send out, but also depending on how they see us and how they, their expectations of us as well. Yeah, I think I, I share with you that. I mean, I, I have quite a significant proportion of my patients are, are men, um, and they too tend to be past middle age. But of course, that's when many of the problems we're talking about start hitting you, because when you're young, you think you're immortal, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. It won't, it's, not, it's never going to happen to me. It's never going to happen to me. Um, and I think it's interesting that um, men are seeking out herbal help, but they may be not seeking it from herbalists. It may be that um, they nip to the local herbal shop or probably buy something online. And it's funny because uh, when I was kind of getting ready for this meeting, I just went on to Google and I Googled male herbal tonic. And I got 7 million results in half a second. And then I clicked on the shopping tab and it offered me 500 items straight away. Um, and, you know, there are all sorts of different things. Some of them look quite reasonable and some of them not so much. But I think the whole the point I would be making here is that as herbalists, we offer people guidance because the model of a herb being there just for one illness or set of symptoms is something that herbalists acknowledge, but we the way we work is much, much deeper than that because we would look at why that illness and why that set of symptoms are happening. And again, we'd use herbs in a way that, in a complex way that would help the individual rather than just sort of damp their symptoms down. And I think sometimes, um, you know, conventional medicine works in that way, perhaps in the early stages of a problem. In persistent problems, it perhaps gets a bit deeper. But but I think herb, we herbalists, we tend to go in at the deep end straight away. I think that's great. That's really good. Some of the some of the most lasting men's remedies were tonics. I mean, they were used for impotence, of course, which was always a male priority, um, and you know, for flagging impotence as one gets older so there's a sort of a uh, what shall we say a, a non-altruistic motive there i mean blokes you know uh, need support t at times where it hurts most and so there's not surprising some of the most popular remedies address those needs yeah yeah ab absolutely and i have absolutely no argument with that provided they're, they're properly um, sourced and, uh, and people are buying stuff that, that, that we as herbalists would say, okay, that may be helpful, that may help your symptoms, why not try that? Um, I did a, uh, when I was studying, I had to do a dissertation uh, 
And I was incredibly fortunate in that the um, University of Sheffield School of Health and Related Research allowed me to uh, take some information from a database that they had created. And it was called the Yorkshire Health Project. And it was 27,000 questionnaires submitted by people saying what sort of stuff they bought over the counter. So my, my project was uh, basically um, who buys herbal medicine? What are they buying? Uh, and I worked out, and they, they'd ask people to say, what have you bought in the previous three months? It's quite a short period of time, but they wanted people to remember properly. And if they said a year, they might not have remembered. So in the previous, according to these, this data, in the previous uh, three months, um, one in 20 people had actually bought uh, some sort of herbal remedy. And a quarter of those were men. And when I looked at what they were buying, I did like a top 50 of, of all the herbs. And the top three in men were garlic capsules, which I think were being purchased for cardiovascular health, um, saw palmetto, almost certainly relating to prostate, and ginseng, which is probably related to putting lead in your pencil, I guess. Um, and only of the whole study group, and I, I can't break this down to male and female, but something like 1.2% had actually seen a herbalist. So we've got, we've got about 5% buying stuff, but a much, much smaller percentage actually coming in to talk about it to someone. And I think, you know, it would be nice for people to see us for a bit of guidance about the safety and efficacy of the stuff they're getting. Because... There's been a lot of research about where do people get guidance if they're buying herbal stuff. And the the accuracy of the information that people get, even from the manufacturers, is pretty poor. And if they consult non-herbal healthcare professionals, it's also pretty poor because they're not and quite rightly, they're not they're not trained and they're guessing and they tend to be risk averse and they say, Oh, I wouldn't take anything herbal if I were you. It's it's bound to be it'll cause you problems. So I think, you know, it's, I would say to, um, to herbalists who are listening to this, you need to perhaps promote yourselves. If you can access male groups, male communities, if you're interested in male health issues, um, then, you know, go ahead and, uh, and, and make sure that they know that you're available and you're listening and that you're going to validate any concerns they have. You, you won't dismiss them and say, oh, this isn't, you know, uh, it's not worth bothering about this, don't be silly, grow up, be a man, which language like that is very often used. Um, and similarly, if people are listening to this who, who are not herbalists, but who are blokes and things, well, I might, you know, I'm running a men's group, I'm running a men's shed, uh, men's support group, something like that, um, then, you know, find out who your local herbalists are. It's easy to do. Go online and just, you know, go to one of the, the professional registers, put your postcode in, and see if there's a herbalist there who come and talk to your group. That would be really good, wouldn't it? And they could talk about, you know, the stuff you can get over the counter. So, you know, you see adverts for, for sort of herbal Viagra. Um, and, and, you know, some of the ingredients you think, well, that sounds like it might be quite reasonable. Then you wonder where they've come from, whether, whether there might be plant misidentification, adulteration. There's all, I mean, Simon, you've done a lot of work about, about this in terms of um, trying to um, make sure that the herbs we use are, are what they say they are and they haven't been messed about with on their journey from, from the plant to our, our dispensaries, I know. 
an uphill struggle, which others in herbal reality are very focused on. Uh, I, I, one of the other, I mean, it's an amusing uh, recollection, but uh, back in the 80s, there was something particularly, I was working in New York a lot. But the, if you mentioned ginseng, it, the, 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 the association most people make was ginseng abuse syndrome, which was most mostly men using ginseng as you say as a you know putting lead in their pencil in one way or another but mostly in combination with other stimulants even if it was just caffeine but there was other other things you know other stimulants were also available as we used to say um and and almost always if and it was usually men were tagged with ginseng abuse syndromes because they were using ginseng in a battery of stimulants uh, and general uh, prop-ups. Um, uh, and it does remind us again how in men's health there is that part of it. You know, they also the same people who put, you know, large tubs of protein supplements on their, you know, uh, you know and go and work out in the gym and build their muscle up. It's, there's a lot of that association with the herbs as well. This question is, you know, will this build me up? Will this uh, support my masculinity to take you back to your original thinking? Yeah, absolutely. And I suspect that, that um, you know, and that's exploring herbs. I'm, I'm all for people exploring herbs. I think, you know, whether it's with a herbalist or not. But I think in that situation, um, you, that there will be economic pressures, won't they? Selling product, um, at the gym you know if you go to uh, i have to say i have to confess i've never set foot in a gym in my life but um you know it is exit through gift shop isn't it from what i understand there's a lot of product a lot of product placement going on um and i'm not entirely sure that all of it is is uh, as bona fide as perhaps it's meant to be i don't know i'm not in a position to comment i am concerned yeah, do do uh, you, you know you see, you see a good percentage of um, men in your cl- in your patients uh, in your practice? Um, I mean, do you are there lessons you have learned from that in terms of you know, how you open the conversation? They often, in my experience, come in with something else, you know, headaches or you know, I've got a arthritic joint or you know some some uh, they're on meprazole or something with their stomach and then uh, you know within hopefully a reasonable period of time they begin to spill the beans and 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 really you know why they're there becomes a bit more obvious do you find that you need to to, to open up negotiations differently i i think so i mean i i think um I mean, one of the thoughts that I, I've had is that we need to give men the space to do that. And I, I, you know, I thought to myself, well, how can I, how can I make sure that they know they've got the space to do that? And there's a real paradoxical approach here that I often adopt, which is I will sometimes say to people, particularly men perhaps who've never been to visit a herbalist before, um, I'll say to them, so I'm, we're going to spend the best part of an hour talking about your health, and we're going to go into lots of lots of detail about uh, your health and the various systems in the body and it may be that we're going to talk about things that seem to have nothing whatever to do with why you've come to see me and I'd like to put this into context and understand perhaps some of the emotional background around um, who you are and it may be that some of the questions I will ask you are going to be quite emotionally challenging for you if we touch on something that you find it's difficult to talk about, it's absolutely fine for you to say to me, 
I'm sorry, I, I, I find it difficult to talk about that at the moment. Can we move on? And that is absolutely fine. And of course, the weird thing is that having given, pe given people permission to say, okay, you can sidestep something, they're more likely to mention it. They're more likely to come out with it and, and actually think, okay, so I am in a safe place. I can share stuff. And I think from the very beginning, you have to create, um, they have to realize that this is as confidential as any other consultation they're going to have and that they've got a safe space, that they've got a safe space and you're not going to judge them. You're not going to stand in judgment. You're not going to, um, your job is to support them. And as I say, I think it's, it's also uh, validating their concerns as well. And I think if you can do that, uh, even if something... The tiniest things can be the last straw with people, can't they? The tiniest things, you know, you someone comes in with a, something and you think, well, that's okay, we'll have a go at sorting that out, but it's not a major problem. Why are they so upset? And then you realize that this, on top of all the stuff that's been happening and their struggle to, to, to be the big man that they thought they, that they, they need to be and support the family uh, and, uh, you know, oh, I... I, I I'm perceived as weak if I go to, to seek help. And I think if you sort of can say to people, um, men that come to see you, actually, um, by telling me about this stuff, you've really done the most difficult thing. You've actually told me about it. And I think, I mean, something else I've touched on, I know you've heard me speak about this before, is this idea of not being frightened. If you sense that someone is in despair, don't be frightened to ask them about suicide. Because the very act of asking them about whether they thought of killing themselves can actually mean that they're less likely to do it. Oh, there's, a, there's a lovely part of a film, I think it was The Full Monty, where uh, Tom Wilkinson, who one of the actors, is a, is a suited gentleman uh, who lost his job and never told his wife. And so every day he would be sitting in the park in his suit, um, pretending to be at work because he couldn't face uh, telling his even his spouse uh, this, and and you get that, don't you? That sort of uh, suppressed uh, situation where where they really find it quite difficult to open up unless you provide that really safe space you talked about. Absolutely, absolutely, and. Um... And I think, I think sometimes um, being in tears in front of someone else is difficult if you're a man. Um, and I think herbalists, I think herbalists really manage um, consultations with with men superbly well because they give them space, they allow that emotional contact, um, and then they. Um, I think we're good at reframing things as well. I think a lot of the time uh, we can we can try and reframe people's concerns, and, and, and if people think they're being silly, we can turn it around and say, actually, um, by telling me about the problem that you've got, you're you're not being weak. You're actually being strong because you're wanting to get yourself right, so that you can go out and be the breadwinner. You can go and do that. So you know, reframing help seeking as an act of bravery is a is a thing. Um, there are all sorts of 
things being written about it and and uh, the psychologists and and sociologists write about this uh, and i think that's something that uh, as herbalists we probably do it instinctively i think we do a lot of stuff instinctively and we used our we use our intuition and insights um because we spend a lot of time with people we are focused on people and yeah, and we have different remedies as you say you know the remedies we have come at it differently from uh, those that they normally experience in medicine absolutely um i think that um i remember i think it was a conference in lampeter um and i was now who was it? it was graham tobin was talking i think and he gave this superb speech saying that um it's a presentation where we, he was talking about research, I think, and he said that when, if you if you adopt the the sort of the the, the clockwork model of, of of well-being and the human body, like a really complicated machine with little wheels and levers and stuff, then using a conventional drug um, to to help with health is um, where it's targeted at just one thing, just one reaction within the body. It's a bit like if the machine isn't working, putting your finger on one of the, the gear wheels and just pushing it round a bit to get it going. Whereas herbal medicine is like getting an oil can and lubricating all of the wheels at the same time so the machine runs smoothly. And I thought, well, that's, what a, that's an amazing analogy. I love that. And um, I kind of extended it to think, well, you know, if we're using plant medicines, plants are complex systems as well. And a plant, a plant medicine is a complex system all of its own, isn't it? And, you know, we hear about research where the pharmaceutical companies, are, they've, they've got a plant and they're, they're taking an active ingredient out of it. Well, if that clockwork machine was actually a clock, it's a bit like taking one wheel out of the clock and saying, is this where the time is? Is this the bit that tells us about time? I think, you know, and that's the big difference. And that's what I love about herbal medicine. And the great thing is, of course, that we can use the same herbal remedy and it'll work differently in different people um and we and we use combinations sometimes sometimes we use just simply one a simple just one herb but we can use combinations and eventually i mean i suspect that that most people that see herbalists um no one else gets the the combination of herbs that they get the other thing of course is as herbalists we are not just limited to herbs we're talking we are trained to help people to um, look at their lifestyle and to, to offer them guidance if they feel that, that you know, to bring them, bring that into focus and say, you know, there are some things you can change. It's up to you. But if you, if you wanted to think about ways you could change, these are the, what I would prioritize. And also we have, um, there's, it's a blurring of the boundary, but nutrition, what we eat as well. And, you know, there's, there's lots of stuff going on in herbal medicine now about the microbiome and, and uh, foods that we eat that bring about well-being. And the, the boundaries between a food and a herb are getting ever more blurred. Uh, and the great thing is that herbalists are trained to do that. And in terms of male health, diet is supremely important. Um, well, it's important for everyone, but, but um, all sorts of things that can make a huge difference. And with all respect, and I speak as a doctor, I think I got like half an hour on a wet Thursday afternoon being trained on nutrition. That was it. Um, and, you know, I read round it and stuff, but the, a lot of doctors are very out of date with what they, they think nutrition might mean and what a good diet might be. Um, 
there are nutritionists and dietitians in the community, but they're terribly overworked. And if you see one of those on the NHS, they're probably going to be dealing with, you know, sort of parental nutrition or some specialized form rather than just advising people about their diet. So herbalists are, 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 are I think, are a really good resource in terms of, of helping people to think about what, what they're eating and their lifestyles, as well as offering herbs and empowering people. One of the, one of the great things that, that I thought was wonderful when I was doing my training is that we would we would offer people a bottle of medicine, but we'd also tell people what might be growing in the hedgerows or in their gardens. So they would go and perhaps pick a few leaves from, from, from some nettles or something if they had a bit of arthritis going on or a bit of gout or something and stuff that in the teapot and make an, in the spring make a nice fresh herb tea with some nettles, maybe some, some cleavers in it or something as well, and have that as a spring tonic. And it costs nothing because it's just growing out there. And I think that's that's just absolutely lovely. And that involving people, involving men in looking after themselves is what we need to be doing. It's not receiving care passively. Here's a packet of pills, here's a bottle of tincture. It's actually inviting them to engage with the plant to broker an introduction between the patient and the plant. I think that's what herbalists are primarily doing. Many of the headline things that are supposed to affect men, like prostate problems, like the andropause, like erectile dysfunction, are very much on the top of a of bigger health issues in every case. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it doesn't make sense to focus on one bit of those storylines because the fact is that they are uh, part, are really much part of the whole. In fact, rise to the top. You know, they're, they're like the, the stuff that floats to the top of the barrel. You know, you've got to treat the barrel um, uh, to, to make any real impact to those conditions. Absolutely. And we, and you see, here's another thing that herbalists are really good at. We're trained at spotting what are called red flags. So, and prostate's a really good one, isn't it? Because you, we might get a, a gentleman coming to see us saying, um, can you help me a bit with my prostate? I've read it. I've, I've tried Saul Palmetto. I've been buying it over the counter. It hasn't made a lot of difference so far. Is there anything else I can take as well? And you go through and you say, okay, so um, what's been going on? Have you, have you ever seen any blood when you go for a week? Oh, just a couple of times. So, right, okay. So it may be, you know, people are treating symptoms, but they don't recognize that those symptoms might actually stray into what we call red flag territory. And they, they maybe they, perhaps they do, perhaps they're frightened. Perhaps they think, well, I'll go and see a herbalist. I'll get something herbal. That'll, I'll see if that does it. There's a bit of that goes on. Uh, and so also, you, there, there are times. There are times when you do have to think. I think this guy will need to go and have further checks. Absolutely, absolutely. And as herbalists, we would also we would always. Um, you can't force people to do things, but we we the, there's good ways of of reframing what's going on so that they they would perhaps feel that that perhaps the the time had come. We can write to GPs as well. We there's no reason why you can't write to a GP saying I'm a little bit worried about this patient. I'm writing to them with with their writing to you with their permission, and this is what I found. And you give the, give the the letter to the patient to take to the GP, and that that's a really good strategy, I think that that can help and you're empowering the patient you're you're turning them into the messenger as well as the the, the subject uh, and that can be good and there's you and know you're, and you're, you're you're also giving them you know if there's they're worried about something perhaps with the prostate you're also saying you know when you've had your test come back 
because there are things we can do to support you, whatever whatever the case. Absolutely. Or even to perhaps offer them some symptomatic treatment before to, to just to sort of to say, OK, this will help. But but it's no it's not a substitute for getting to the bottom of this. Similarly, you know, with erectile dysfunction, um, you know, this can be a good way of picking up perhaps people who have diabetes, which is a very, it's a very, very common thing. Um, so, you know, anyone who came to me to, with erectile dysfunction, I want to test a sample of their Wii and just make absolutely certain that, that there wasn't lots of glucose. Or ischemic heart disease, because um, anyone with erectile, there is a saying, anyone with erectile fun- dysfunction who hasn't um, been diagnosed with ischemic heart disease has got it until proven otherwise basically because these are tiny little blood vessels and if your blood vessels are blocking up with atherosclerosis then then as a bloke that's probably the first one that's you're going to notice anything going on and that may happen before you get angina so a bit of preventative medicine going on here so male health um i think we do have to widen it up from just physical symptoms but i think there are two things the physical symptoms can um, suggest that there might be perhaps rather bigger sort of things going on in their lives in terms of their, their mental well-being. But they can also act as flags to tell us about um, problems elsewhere in the body. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I mean, one of the things I do when I'm looking at prosthetic or other issues is to think about their pelvic health because in women we're so used to seeing pelvic congestion and pelvic inflammation as as cofactors, but we tend to overlook that that can be just as troublesome in men. And, and you're talking about lifestyle, but simply exercising, getting the blood moving in those areas, those are the sort of things that can make a big difference. Yeah. I think one area where herbalists uh, can really score enormously is, is I'm doing the inverted comma sign with my hands now, chronic prostatitis, which is this sort of vast ragbag diagnosis. It's sort of a headache in the pelvis. There was a book written, I forget the author at the moment, but I, and it's really, it's chronic pelvic pain in men. And it can, be, it can be from so many different causes. It's not necessarily even the prostate that's involved, but it's called prostatitis. In conventional practice, uh, we we tend to throw antibiotics at it for a while and if that doesn't do anything we throw antidepressants at it and then we kind of say oh we can't do anything i think herbalists have a lot more um you know this is uh, what we call an effectiveness gap where herbalists rush forward saying pick me pick me i can help you with this <laughs> and we see and we you must see a lot of patients simon who've perhaps done the rounds of various sort of specialists and have sort of got as far as they can and think well there must be more to it than this um, and they, you know, maybe someone has recommended herbal medicine. Perhaps they've they've um, they've read something about herbal medicine, uh, and they, they come along. Um, and there are quite a lot of male health issues where I think we can we can offer um, perhaps rather more than than conventional practice can. I think, I think one of the things I've taken away from this conversation is a, uh, a, a remind me is that you know in, in what we're doing is so often giving men tools, which is something that men inherently sort of get on with, uh, because, you know, you were talking about them being offered antidepressants or one thing or another, that in a sense is victimizing them or giving, uh, telling them, you know, we'll look after you, you know, this, uh, the word antidepressant or anything like that rather assumes as though, you know, you've lost agency, you've, you've given over your health to some other, uh, uh, someone else. What we're doing is offering them, whether it's 
supported self-help or simply talking about herbs and giving them one or two to try, uh, we're giving them back the tools that they can use to get and manage their own I think lives. So. Again. I think empowering people is good. I mean, giving throwing antidepressants pe- at people, sometimes you're putting people out of your misery. Very good way. Very good way of putting it. And of course, so many, as you say, your colleague, former colleagues, your GPs, are simply run off their feet, and they're looking for some way of just, you know, taking some of the pressure off. And these pills are often just ways of moving. Next one, I, I, next, I think please. So. I mean, I, I don't get in a big discussion about antidepressants, but I think certainly there are cases where they they really have saved lives. Absolutely. But I think they're terribly overused. They're terribly overmarketed. I think the evidence for their safety has been seriously compromised. And getting people off them is a nightmare. Absolute nightmare. But we can do that as well. We're good at doing that. Um, working with the patient, whoever's the prescriber, working with the prescriber and saying, okay, we will offer herbal support. There are ways through them. Uh, and working together, collaborative practice. Thank, thank you so much for this. I mean, it, it really is a, it, it's an important part of our world as practitioners in herbal medicine uh, to pick up on this often neglected area. So thank you so much for sharing uh, your experience. Uh, if, you, if you've got any final thoughts as we, as we wrap up to yes, leave with people. I think. Um... I mean, the big message that I have to people is don't keep it to yourself, is open up. If, if, if there's something going on, don't keep it to yourself. Go and find someone who, who you can talk to, whether it's a, 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 a healthcare professional or not a healthcare professional. And if things are really bad, uh, and sometimes, you know, we all stand there staring into the darkness, don't we? Make sure there's someone by your side holding your hand. If that's what you have to do, then do it. But have someone with you, someone to take care of you. I think that's important. Well, thank you for that literally touching thought, Phil. Uh, it's been a real pleasure to share this time with you. And we look forward to further adventures on this world and this journey. You've been listening to The Herbcast, the podcast from Herbal Reality. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If so, perhaps you'd like to leave us a rating. That would really help us to spread our message for herbal health. We hope you'll join us again for the next episode. And in the meantime, if you'd like a few more herbal insights from us, do have a look at herbalreality.com. Or learn more from us via Instagram, where we're at herbal.reality. And we're on Twitter and Facebook too. We'll be back with another episode of The Herbcast soon. Thanks for joining.